Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Good evening. This is The Source. I'm Caitlin Collins, live from Tel Aviv tonight. Israel has just gotten the list of the sixth group of hostages expected to be released tomorrow. And we are told by sources that the families right now are being notified. But the major question that still stands tonight is what happens on night seven when this truce is set to expire. CIA Director Bill Burns was in Qatar for meetings today where I'm told he pushed for an expanded hostage deal that would include men and potentially IDF soldiers. We don't know where that is going to lead, but what we do know right now is that 10 more Israelis who are being held hostage for more than 52 days are back home tonight, as well as two Thai citizens who are also being held hostage have been released. We saw them being handed over in Rafa earlier tonight. In the video, large crowds are lining the street and cheering as the hostages are paraded through members of Hamas. Some could be heard chanting Alu Akbar while an elderly woman was being transferred in a wheelchair. Today's freed hostages are all adult women except one, 17-year-old Mia Leenberg. She was released along with her mother, and it turns out their family dog was also with them. No Americans are a part of this group today, as the White House says they are still hopeful some could be released tomorrow, on day six, when this truce is set to expire. Also not released, the youngest hostage, 10-month-old Kafir Bibis, a hostage for 53 days now, along with his four-year-old brother, Ariel. 53 days. We have an emotional interview with Kafir and Ariel's relative, who is worried that the baby could starve. We'll see that in just a moment. But I want to start now with the latest with CNN's chief global affairs correspondent, Matthew Chance. Matthew, we're, we're seeing this video. Can you just kind of walk us through uh, what break down what we're actually seeing in this video that's released yeah, tonight? It's, it's quite interesting because this is Hamas being filmed, uh, filming them releasing this latest group of hostages. And so you can see um, the, the video equipment they're using. You can see how they're sort of tracking the wheelchair, uh, which is being pushed with, with one elderly uh, woman. Uh, being being taken to the uh, Red Cross ambulances. You can also see the crowds. They've obviously all been told to come there and they are baying, they're heckling um, the the hostages as they're sort of handed over uh, to the Red Cross. Um, and so it's interesting in that sense, but we've seen videos like this sort of every night. And I think Hamas is obviously releases its own version of this. Um, and it, it plays well, I think, to the supporters of Hamas in the region and, and you know, in, around, around the world. It shows them as magnanimous, that they, they, they are releasing people. And I think that is something, an aspect of their image. They're obviously very keen to, to play up. Yeah, it's just jarring to see elderly women being jeered by the people in this crowd. I think that's what, it's just like, it's hard to watch almost. Yeah, you know, hard for us to watch, but imagine what it must be like for those hostages. They don't know what's happening to them. They must be absolutely terrified. In fact, we've spoken to relatives of people who've gone through this. Uh, they spoke to us about how their, their car was being shaken by the thronging crowds outside. It must have been 
I mean, absolutely terrifying. And so it's just part of this ordeal that these people have been going through and, and continue to go through now, even though they're back in Israel. Yeah, one woman's relatives, Adina Moshe, told me she didn't know if she was going to be executed when she was released or, or if she was actually being released until she saw the Red Cross cars. We did get good news, though. Uh, Emily Hand, she is reunited yeah. with her father. And that's just a story that everyone has followed for the last 50 days. But we're also hearing from the father tonight. Yeah, that's right. He gave a very emotional interview to CNN's Clarissa Ward, uh, where he spoke about, first of all, his joy uh, holding his daughter once more. But he also sort of had some really emotional and fascinating detail about how she's coping as I said, she had this trauma October the 7th and being held as a captive, but that trauma does not end once you get home. Take a listen. But beautiful, just like in, uh, just like I imagined it, you know, running together. Um, I squeezed, I probably squeezed too hard. Um, it's only when she stepped back a little, I could see her, her, her face was chiseled like mine, whereas before she left it was, you know, chubby, girly, young, kid, face. Most shocking, disturbing part of the meeting was, um, she was just whispering. Mm. Couldn't hear her. I had to put my ear on her lips, like this close, and say, what did you say? Incredible. I mean, just how, how damaged must that young child be and her family as well. And the 12 hostages that were released uh, today, they're now in Israeli hospitals um, and they're going to be starting as well. This sort of very careful process of rehabilitation that all 81 hostages who have been released so far are undergoing. Yeah, and still waiting to see who could potentially join them tomorrow. Matthew Chance, thank you for that report. And it is still a, a question. I mentioned their 10-month-old Kafir Bibas. He and his four-year-old brother, Ariel, as well as both of their parents, all kidnapped on October 7th. We saw a video initially early on that seemed to indicate they had been separated. We've now heard from the IDF, who says Hamas is actually not holding them, but still says it's their responsibility to return them. The question of which group, which terror group, in Gaza is potentially holding them is still an open question. No one seems to know. I spoke with a cousin of the family, Elon Cachette, earlier tonight. We are really, really worried about him. He's just, he, he's now approaching 11 months old. We have no information at all about their condition. And we know that these are not conditions to raise a baby. We're not sure if he's malnourished, if he can make it. Every day that uh, he's staying there is a real, real danger for his life and his development. And we, we, we don't want to get him or the rest of the family in, fam in, in, in body, bag, body bags. It's, it's really, really, uh, we are really, really afraid about them. I mean, he still gets a bottle. I mean, he's in diapers. He's this, this tiny baby. And exactly. We don't know if they, uh, if they nourish him, if they give him what they need. He's, he's so little. He, he's not even, uh, when he got kidnapped, he was still at the stage that he's not entirely uh, can be able to uh, eat solid food. And he needs a baby formula because, unfortunately, uh, she can't breastfeed. So uh, we're really worried that he will starve to death in lack of better words. Um, and uh, also, uh, Ariel is unfortunately a fragile uh, child and he has several uh, medical conditions. 
and he has a skin uh, condition that he can bleed from if he doesn't get special treatment and we are so worried about them. So and he's just four years old. You were telling me how much he loves tractors. Yeah. And, um, and Ariel. Ariel is such, such a lively child and uh, he really likes uh, cars and uh, and tractors and and you were telling me you remember when Kafir was born you met him when he was just two weeks old just yes. this tiny baby yeah I, uh, it wasn't so long ago because he's only not 11 months old right now he was two weeks uh, was only two weeks old and we I held him in, in my arms like very gently and uh, you know, it's ju and, and I was shocked that uh, he was a redhead just like uh, his uh, <laughs> like older his brother. Like, yes, unfortunately, now the red, the redhead became a symbol of, of, of normal, beautiful life in front of very unbelievably evil just came and shattered it to pieces. And I can't believe these two redheads had to, had and have to experience what they're going through. Uh, you know, uh, their grandparents were murdered and they probably, Ariel and Shiri, the mother, probably don't even know this and, uh, and yeah. they were taken very violently. Uh, the home was is full of gunshots, the home, the home itself, and they drilled into the house and destroyed it. Um, they, they've left nothing, they've left nothing there. Um, his Yerden uh, sister was there to check. Uh, if there is anything left, and they just destroyed or took everything they could, and they had to go through gunshots and shouting and blood and body parts in the street. This is the reality they had uh, to go through. And now, 53 days, they are going through this nightmare, and they, it, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that anyone can let let this keep going. That a baby and 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 uh, four years old with his his mother, they shouldn't be kept like this. It's it's inhumane. It's so scary. It really is. Just we can get we can let it go on. Just think about it. If if this was your child. Would you want them to be in terrorist hands in captivity? Even not seeing them for 53 days is just is, is, is so hard. Like, are these the enemies of Hamas? Are these the enemies of anyone? Could, could, should these children be used as bargaining chips? The, it, no, they shouldn't. This is the simple answer. They shouldn't be used as bargaining chips for any political or religious or, or whatever reason, there is no justification for using them like this. So, we just, we just, want, we just want them back, really. Sorry. It's okay, thank you so much for sharing that. It is agonizing for these families, for what they are going through on a daily basis. And getting more hostages out of Gaza really depends on this temporary truce between Israel and Hamas does it stay temporary? As of now, that pause in the fighting is slated to end tomorrow night, just 24 hours from now. That's why CIA Director Bill Burns was in Doha today. He was meeting with the Qatari, Israeli, Egyptian counterparts to try to see if a second extension to this truce is possible and what could come after that, what it'll take to make that happen. I'm joined tonight by Axios foreign policy reporter Barack Ravid, who I'm also happy to note is also CNN's newest political and foreign policy analyst. Barack, it's so great to have you. 
especially given how well-sourced you have been in all of this. On this matter tonight, how likely is an extension? You know, what are your sources saying about how long that extension could go on if there is one? Good evening, Caitlin. It's uh, great to be here. It's, um, I'm still under the impression of the previous uh, interview you did. It's just, um, it's just very hard uh, to, to watch this. Um, and, uh, you know, this crazy situation. But to, to your question, I think, I think your question is very much connected to this interview. Because one of the things that Bill Burns, the director of CIA, and the Prime Minister of Qatar, Sheikh Mohammed bin Abdulrahman Thani, and the Egyptian uh, intelligence chief, Abbas Kamel, what they heard today from the director of Mossad, David Barnea, is that he, Israel is not ready to discuss any future deal on hostages, on men, on soldiers, on anything, before all the women and children are released as part of this current deal. And I think that one of the reasons he said that is because of the Bivas family and those kids that Hamas gave, according to Israeli intelligence, Hamas gave to another faction in Gaza and now pretends that he doesn't know where they are. Yeah, we actually spoke about that off camera where he was saying that, that they feel they feel like that's just Hamas trying to say, you know, oops, sorry, it's not us. But they were saying we do still expect Hamas to, to be responsible for, for bringing. I mean, that just shows how complicated this is, because if they if they do have this agreement, all women and children, obviously Shiri, their mother and those two babies would be included in that. But if Hamas can't produce them, then what happens? Well, again, according to Israeli officials and according to what the Mossad director said today in Qatar, if Hamas cannot produce this family and other uh, women and children, there are still, other than the Bivas brothers, there are still seven children in Gaza. There are still something like 25 uh, women aged 21 to 50 in Gaza. If Hamas cannot produce them, then, uh, you know, the fighting will uh, resume and there will be no more hostage deals. And it's, Israel is being very clear here, and I hear it from at least three Israeli officials just today. And I think Israel is now putting a lot of pressure on Hamas. Uh, it's willing to extend the pause by another two days, three days, but it wants its hostages back. Yeah, and Americans are, are still part of that. We haven't seen them get out. You mentioned if they don't come to an agreement, and you've been reporting on what Israel is preparing to do next it seems very clear that that could involve going into the South. I mean, would that happen instantly if they don't agree to an extension to a truce by tomorrow night? I don't think it's going to happen instantly because Israel still has a few targets in the north that it still did not touch. Several uh, Hamas targets in northern Gaza. I think they will go there first. That's at least what I hear from Israeli officials, and then they'll go to the south. I mean, the plans, the operational plans for the south were already approved by the cabinet and by the IDF uh, leadership, and they're, they're ready to go. Uh, and this is why, by the way, you hear from U.S. officials that they're more and more concerned about such a move because they feel that it might be coming. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not the day after, maybe the pause will be extended by a few days, but it's just a matter of time, another five days, another week, we will get there. Yeah, the U.S. has been warning them to be surgical, has been the term that we're hearing from officials. 
Is your sense that Israel is heeding those warnings from the United States about how to conduct that next phase of the military operation? I think there's still going to be some discussions about this this week. I think that when um, uh, uh, Secretary of State Blinken will arrive in Tel Aviv on, on Thursday, the possibility of an operation in the south is going to be a f- main focus of him of his in, in those talks with Netanyahu and with the war cabinet. Uh, and there will be a lot of discussions about it between the U.S. Uh, and uh, Israel. And I got to tell you, I don't know uh, how you can uh, operate surgically in Khan Yunis and in Rafah when you have two million people there. I just, I just don't know how such a thing is possible. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's where they have truly sent everyone. So the question is, where do those people go now? I mean, the North has been destroyed. A lot of great questions ahead. We'll have a lot of your reporting ahead on this show. Barack Ravid, thank you for that tonight and welcome to the CNN family. It is great to have you. Thank you, Caitlin. Good night. Ahead, an update on the only American who has been freed so far as a part so far as a part of this temporary truce. That's four-year-old Abigail Adan. She was released from the hospital today here in Israel. The world has been following her story. Both of her parents were killed on that day. We're going to speak to someone who knows her very well about how she's doing now that she's out. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Four-year-old Abigail Adan is back home with her family finally tonight. She was discharged from the hospital here in Israel where she was receiving medical care after she was released on Sunday. For 50 days, she was held captive by Hamas. She is returning home an orphan after Hamas killed her parents in the October 7th attacks. I'm joined now by her great-aunt, Liz Hirsch-Naftali. Liz, it's so great to have you on now that there is good news. Last time we spoke, Abigail was still being held. How's she doing now that she's out of the hospital and back with her family? She's she's re-blossoming. You know, you think about it. She spent 50 days away from her family somewhere in the dark after being under her father's body after he was shot and murdered by Hamas terrorists. So where she is now is she's left the hospital. And when you say she's gone home, she didn't go home. Her home was destroyed. And I think people have to understand that this this home was destroyed. The neighborhood was destroyed. And so when she goes home, she is now without her parents. She's with her family. She's with her siblings, which has been a blessing because for 50 days, they all they wanted, these two little kids, was for their sister to come home. But she's come home without a mother and a father. She has an amazing aunt and uncle who will be taking care of her and her siblings. Her grandparents are wonderful, truly part of her life day in, day out before this. Um, but she's not in her home, and she's not in a home that she lived in. 
she's in a home full of so much warmth and so much love. But when you ask that question, I, I, I want people to understand that coming home is so bittersweet. And for us, it's like a blessing because it's a miracle. This, this child is our hope. But she did not come to her home. She came to a new place with all new, unnavigated territory. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good point because there are so many families that they have nowhere to go. I mean, elderly grandmothers who, who right. their homes that they've lived in their entire lives are, are destroyed. And, you know, Liz, she's so yeah. young, and that's why her story, I think, has stood out to so many. And we've been hearing stories from other parents, other families, about noticing these changes in their children, in their nieces, in their grandchildren. They're crying. They don't want to be touched. Emily Hand whispering to her dad. I mean, have you noticed changes like that as well? Well, what, what, what we see is that when she first came, she was just clinging to her aunt and to her grandmother. And she still is very close to them, and they are her comfort. But when her siblings came in, her brother and sister and her cousins, she lit up. And she started to be smile and be joyful and laugh. And, you know, one of the things that when she arrived, she was hungry. And obviously she had not been fed what we want a three who just turned four-year-old on Friday. And she was telling them what she wanted. And she wanted bagelay, which are like little pretzels. And she wanted juice. And so she's been very clear about what she needs. And, you know, she was sort of the one in the family, the littlest of three, who was a bit bossy and would tell everybody what to do and was kind of always running the house. And she's sort of back to that, which is a beautiful sign. Um, you know, one of the things that I think about is that during these 50 days, we kept hope that she was with this mother and her three kids when she was taken from the kibbutz, when they were kidnapped and abducted. And we just mm -hmm. hoped that she was with this woman, Hagar. And she was, and she was very much attached to her. And that, I think, was also part of her ability to cope in such a atrocious, terrible situation. Um, but she's home with her new family, in her new surroundings, and she is, I think, each day going to be able to feel more comfortable and run around. And my hope, and this is a very private family, they're not out there talking about all of the little details, and they've asked us to be very thoughtful in how we talk about it, because for them, the privacy, and Abigail is turning, she's four and she needs to go back to nursery school and she needs to go out and play soccer, which she loves to play with the big kids. And she was always playing with them and she was always at the ball, even with the six, eight and 10 and 12 year olds. And the one thing that I, I really yeah. think that we all think about is like, Abigail is this beautiful four year old. We can all relate to it. We all wanna give her a hug, but we all wanna see that she has a beautiful life. And she's a symbol of hope that we have, that she can grow up in a world that is much kinder than it was to her as a child. And those are kind of the things that I think about at this time when I look at her and I see her and I think, we just want her to have a beautiful life, a healthy life. And time is gonna tell, but to me, that is the goal of where we are with Abigail and, and her story. Yeah, I think everyone is rooting for that. Liz, it's so great to have you on with this great news. Liv Naftali, thank you for that. Thank you for that update on Abigail. Thank you for having me. Up next, we'll speak with an Israeli government official because there are major questions about what is going to happen here next, whether this truce goes on beyond this two-day extension. It expires tomorrow night. Also, what is happening in the occupied West Bank tonight? We are hearing heavy sounds, or sounds of heavy gunfire, I should say, as the Israeli military says it's conducting counter-terror 
counterterror activities there on the ground. That's an update next. Amid the shaky truce between Hamas and Israel, there has been fighting today in the occupied West Bank. The IDF telling CNN it was conducting counterterrorism activities in Jenin. Video from the area shows heavy gunfire near that refugee camp there in Jenin. Doctors Without Borders says that two Palestinians died after Israeli military vehicles blocked the entrance to a hospital. Here with me now tonight is a member of Israel's Knesset and the former ambassador to the United Nations, Danny Danone, who's quite familiar on this show. What is the IDF doing in Jenin tonight? What's the purpose of this operation? We are preventing terror attacks in Israel. Hamas is also active in, in the West Bank, in Judea and Samaria. And we know that Hamas Gaza is pushing Hamas Judea and Samaria to be active, to produce terror attacks uh, in Israel. Uh, so what we do, we prevent those attacks. Almost every night, we send our special troops into the areas where we know we have the intel uh, about the cells getting ready to, to send attack into Israel, and we prevent those attacks. So you're saying this will continue? Absolutely. Whenever we will know about a threat uh, to Israel, we will be very active in Judea and Samaria. Sometimes we cooperate with the PA. Most of the time, we do it ourselves. We just heard reporting earlier this hour about whether or not there's going to be an extension to this truce. It's set to expire 24 hours from now. Is there going to be an extension, do you believe? We want to see more hostages coming back. You know, we see all those stage events in Gaza. That's sickening. And you spoke about it earlier, but to see the Hamas actually producing a daily show. So, you know, we are not happy about the show, but we are happy about the hostages coming back into Israel. So if they can provide more hostages, we will be willing to consider an extension. But until the point that they will provide hostages. After that, we are getting ready for the next stage. And I don't see anyone who will stop us from continuing in the war efforts. How many days could the extension go on for, do you believe? So the government decided that it can automatically continue until uh, next Monday. After that, the government should meet again, have a vote and decide whether to extend it or not. So on Monday, the wartime cabinet would have to have a meeting. There were these meetings in Doha today where top officials from here, Egypt, the U.S., all meeting to talk about potentially extending this deal. And there was some reporting about this idea of potentially releasing all hostages in exchange for, for an end to the war. Is that something Israel would ever consider? Absolutely not. We, ha we have two main goals for the war, releasing the hostages and eliminating Hamas. So we are not even considering such uh, an offer because for us, if we stop now, we allow Hamas to exist. They will rebuild the power. And it's only a matter of time until we see rockets here in Tel Aviv in another attack against our communities. How long is Israel prepared to wait before restarting its military operation in Gaza? So, you know, I, I speak a lot with the, the, the military, and, and they tell me it's not easy for us. It puts the lives of soldiers in threat. But if we can bring more hostages back, we are willing to pay that price. So if we need to wait another few days, another week, we will do it. And after that, the military will go south and will continue with the war operation. Okay, but can you explain this to me? If Israel goes into Gaza and, and they go into the south, where do the people go that Israel just told to leave the north and go to the south? Where, do, where are they supposed to go? So I cannot go into details, but we will do our best to minimize civilian casualties like we did in the north. There are still places in Gaza they can move uh, where? Ne next, to the, next to the beach area or other areas that we can work with the UN to find shelter for them. We will do our best to minimize casualties for the civilian. And it's we big enough for two million people? Well, it's not going to be easy, 
but uh, the responsibility is for Hamas to ask those questions. But we will uh, make sure that we minimize civilian casualties. That's how we conduct the war. Is Israel already creating those? You, you said that you were open to creating those safe zones for people. Is Israel forming those yet or no? So we're actually identifying the areas that we will ask the population to move into those areas. We haven't announced yet, but it will be announced. We just got word that Israel has now gotten the sixth list of hostages who are set to be released tomorrow. Do you know if any Americans are on that list? Well, I cannot go into the details, uh, but we were very happy to see uh, the names. And we still have Americans. We still have uh, babies. We have uh, the Bivas brothers uh, that we don't know where they are. And the idea that Hamas is actually trading hostages, can you believe that, Caitlin? They are selling hostages to different gangs in Gaza. That's Did they sell the Bibas brothers? Well, I will not go into details, but we know that they actually sold hostages in between the, the groups of Hamas in Gaza, in between uh, gangs in Gaza. That's something we never heard about, that you, you sell hostages to somebody else. How many hostages do you believe that they've, that they've sold to other groups? Uh, we know about that uh, sickening uh, movement of hostages from one group to another group. And that shows you with whom we are dealing. That's why the people in Israel here, they, they are very united and determined that this time we have to go all the way. We have to finish the job this time. That is uh, disturbing news, especially for the Bibas brothers and all of them. Ambassador Janone, thank you for your time. Thank you very today. much. With that disturbing development there that Hamas is apparently, according to the ambassador, selling and trading hostages. Of course, with each hostage release is the harrowing story of what happened to those people while they were there in captivity. I just sat down with a family member who had six of her relatives just released. Seven, though, were being held captive. That means one is still in Gaza tonight. That fight to bring their final loved one home is continuing her story right after this. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Six members of one extended family kidnapped by Hamas have now been freed. They have returned home to Israel. That includes two eight-year-old, that includes two children, eight-year-old Neveh and three-year-old Yael Shoam. But the children's father, Tal, remains captive tonight. I sat down with their relative, Shira, to learn more about how her freed family members are doing tonight and also their efforts underway to get Tal home. Obviously, deeply traumatized. We don't know what they saw yet and what they've been through. And obviously, it's going to be a long process of recovery and healing. And we're going to be there for them. And uh, of course, the most important thing, it's they can't really relax and get comfortable and, you know, get back to reality until uh, Tal is back and everyone else will be back. The kids are so young. They're, they're eight and three years old. Yeah. Their dad is still being held by Hamas. I mean, how are they doing without their dad at home? Not good. Not good. Kids need their dad. 
It's very, very simple. Obviously, there are strong kids now and they've been through a lot and they're open and they're happy to see people and they hug people and, you know, they're happy to be back with their familiar surrounding. But obviously, their immediate need of their dad is not fulfilled. It's not there. When you look at whether or not, you know, the time here, I've heard a lot of people say we're worried about the window closing. What do you think about that? I mean, obviously we feel the momentum of this moment, of these days, the releases. It's amazing to see people coming out every day. And we, we had our moment on Saturday and since then uh, people are having these moments. And yeah, it's scary. It's scary that, you know, the fighting will continue and then we don't have any guarantee that they'll stop again soon. And so I think we should use the momentum. And every day we said, you know, this is more important. It has to be more important. It has to be the goal of this war now that it's happening. And after, the, after it's done, you know, the hostages are, will be home. Hopefully soon the war will be over because also this humanitarian um, pause is giving a lot of, you know, I'm sure civilians in Gaza, you know, for them to get help as well is so important and hope, obviously we hate seeing suffering anywhere. I find it really interesting that you, you bring up the Palestinians because sometimes there's people who seem to be of the mind that you can only care about bringing the hostages home or eradicating Hamas or, or also caring about the Palestinian civilians. You say you can do both. Of course you can do both. If you define yourself as a person that supports human rights, you have to do both. And we see, you know, we see the demonstrations all over the world, you know, I see a lot of people I know supporting Palestine. You know, I support the Palestinians' rights to have their freedom, their country. But I think people don't understand something very profound. There is a separation, a very clear one, between Palestinian civilians and Hamas as a terror organization. And for me, you know, people ask me after this, the 7th of October, how can you still believe in peace? Peace is an obligation for us now because my family should be the last people that are dying in a war, that are brutally massacred in a war and are kidnapped into enemy territory and suffer under horrible conditions and are traumatized for life. They should be the last people. We have to make an arrangement. We have to find a, a, a solution, a political solution for this problem because everyone's suffering for it. Ahead, how the U.S. is taking advantage of what is happening right now, this temporary pause where it is quiet in Gaza for the first time in weeks, now getting plane loads of desperately needed humanitarian aid to those civilians in Gaza. A Biden administration official is here with a critical update.
the U.S. military taking advantage of this temporary pause underway between Hamas and Israel to fly plane loads of critical supplies into Egypt, where they can then be brought into Gaza. The first of three C-17s delivered more than 54,000 pounds of food, medicine, and warm clothes today. Joining me now for an exclusive interview is Samantha Power, the administrator for the U.S. Agency for International Development and the former ambassador to the United Nations. Administrator, thank you for being here tonight. Obviously, you know, more than 1.7 million people of the 2 million people who live in Gaza have been internally displaced. It is now becoming rainy season. How vital is it that things like dried clothes, food and medicine get to them right now? It's absolutely critical, and that is why we are seeking with our international partners to take full advantage of this pause, uh, but also to make sure that the flow of trucks and supplies uh, continues, uh, that this is not, that this becomes a new normal, uh, where we now have 240 trucks a day going in. That's still only a small fraction of the kinds of supplies that flowed in uh, before this war began. Uh, so sustaining that flow, increasing it further, getting more fuel, more winterization supplies as the climate changes, uh, all of that is going to be absolutely critical. Yeah, it is critical. And, you know, as you mentioned, it's not even close to what it was before. Uh, it was 500 trucks about that each day going into Gaza before this. Obviously not close to that now. And you mentioned a new normal. I mean, when does it become a point where it's the sustained delivery of commercial goods in addition to just the basic aid that's going in now? Well, again, we are very clear that there has been progress, but that what is going in is still not enough. And that is both because the humanitarian supplies should increase. I convened uh, my international counterparts from all around the world and implored them to increase the amount of funding they provide to UN agencies and non-governmental organizations so that cash and, and actual resources don't become a limiting factor here. It had been that the inspections and getting supplies in were the limiting factors. You'd hate to see it be just a shortage of money on the part of the World Food Program or UNICEF or other partners. So that is key, getting, again, those that, that flow going. But uh, it will be ultimately inadequate without commercial traffic as well uh, accompanying humanitarian traffic. Uh, this is something that President Biden uh, has raised at the highest level. It is something the White House is seized with. Our special envoy in the region uh, as well is pushing for commercial access. So again, each week we see more progress in terms of supplies going in. The pause has given us a chance uh, to expand dramatically, again, uh, the throughput, as they say. Uh, but we need to supplement humanitarian supplies with commercial supplies. That is by, by far the most important next phase of the supply issue. It is a, a, cr a critical next phase, but how do you ensure that that aid continues to get in once Israel, as they have made very clear, resumes its military campaign because they've told all these people to go to the south, to leave the north. It's over a million people that have fled to the south. But they've made clear that that fighting is likely to move to the south very soon. So how do you make sure aid can still get in while that's going on? It's a great question. It's one we're very seized with, even as we're trying to take advantage of the pause uh, that now has been extended. We're also looking ahead, and Israel has made clear that it intends uh, to pursue Hamas uh, into the south. 
Here again, President Biden, who's been a kind of humanitarian desk officer uh, from the beginning of this conflict, uh, again, increasing these supplies in, is also extremely focused on civilian protection, on the fact that civilians need to be accounted for as this next phase of the military campaign uh, begins, or as Israel plans it now uh, with an eye uh, to international humanitarian law, to the need to have spaces in the South, like hospitals, like UN shelters, that are uh, zones where civilians can gather and know that they will not uh, you know, suffer bombardment. And, and so these are the very, very detailed conversations that are going on. Uh, there is receptivity to this message, um, but again, the planning is key, applying the lessons of the conflict in the North to the conduct of warfare in the South is absolutely critical because, again, civilians must be protected. There are no law-free zones in war. Samantha Power, thank you very much for your time tonight. Thank you, Caitlin. Up next, former President Jimmy Carter made a rare appearance emerging from hospice care today to attend the memorial service for his beloved wife, Rosalind. We have scenes from that emotional tribute just ahead. There was a powerful moment today at the tribute service for former First Lady Rosalind Carter. Her husband of 77 years, former President Jimmy Carter, emerged from hospice care to attend. He was seen there in the front row. We didn't hear from him, but their daughter Amy did share a letter that he wrote to her mother 75 years ago. My darling, every time I have ever been away from you, I have been thrilled when I returned to discover just how wonderful you are. While I am away, I try to convince myself that you really are not, could not be, as sweet and beautiful as I remember. But when I see you, I fall in love with you all over again. Does that seem strange to you? It doesn't to me. Goodbye, darling. Until tomorrow. Jimmy. Theirs was quite a bond. Thank you so much for joining us here in Tel Aviv tonight. Laura Coates Live starts right now. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash Country. Max subscription required.